So again, thank you, uh, Jim. My name is Neil Grogan, and I am one of the pastors over at Christ Community Church, which is a church that was birthed out of this one, uh, out of Grace Bible Church. And uh, man, it's just a testimony of God's grace and work in each and every one of our lives. But man, that's how the church naturally should work, that we would see expansion of the kingdom of God as necessary. And so we should go and fulfill that mandate. And so it was, you know, our privilege to kind of come out of Grace Bible Church to continue that legacy that Temple Bible Church passed to Grace Bible Church, which we received and are moving forward with. So when Pastor Dave called me a couple weeks ago to ask me to preach for him, I jumped at the opportunity. A couple reasons why. One, because I love Pastor Dave. And the second reason, and, and more primary, is I love Grace Bible Church. It's uh, like Jim said, I spent about five years here, and it's a lot like returning to an old home. There's a lot of nostalgia uh, that comes with it, and I'm seeing some familiar faces, and um, man, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's a testimony of God's goodness to get to worship with you guys again. Um, so in a sense, you know, I'm visiting my old home, but I hope you know um, how amazing a pastoral staff and elder board you have at this church. I can testify, serving on staff alongside many of them, that how much they love you and pray for you and care for you. Um, And y'all are blessed to have these kinds of men of God uh, set apart for that work in this church. But you are also blessed because you're at Grace Bible Church. And the reason I say that is because I know that Grace Bible Church's heartbeat is to glorify God with everything they have. And so we will endeavor, continue in that endeavor this morning as we read from God's Word, as we seek Him in the text, and as we pray. So would you pray with me, church? Heavenly Father, God, we just ask you to help us this morning. Help us to become more like you. I pray this text would lead us in lifelong worship and piety and faithfulness to you. And God, I only ask that your spirit would move in a mighty way, making clear the text to our hearts and calling us to become more like your son, Jesus. Lord God, would you bless this church with what you have blessed me with this week? And may my words glorify you, O God. We love you. King Jesus. And we ask these things for the sake of your name. Amen. So church, if I was to ask you what you think the most common accusation levied against Christians, what would you say? Or maybe maybe this way, finish this phrase. Christians are hypocrites. You nailed it. You knew, did you get this earlier? Hypocrites. I hear this accusation quite often. Um, Because I believe it's extremely common for someone who rejects the gospel of Jesus Christ to when they look and see the life of a Christian, a professing believer, and if what they see doesn't mesh with what they've heard about Jesus or the scriptures, they would naturally draw this conclusion about those people of faith. But for most Christians, I don't think when we 
hear and receive the gospel of Jesus, we make some conscious decision to become a hypocrite. Rather, I think uh, for many, the issue is that maybe you've never been shown how to change or how to become more like Jesus. So the purpose of today is to hopefully answer this question, how do I change? How do I go from walking in darkness to walking in light and walking out the light? How do I grow as a believer? And I believe our text this morning is going to help us on our way towards Christian transformation. So would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4? We're going to read verses 22 through 24. When you get there, go ahead and stand with me as we read God's word together this morning. It's all right. Old churches do it all the time, so I'm a little old-fashioned. Go ahead and stand up with me. This is what the word of the Lord says. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Before we tackle that text, so that we just read, I think it's imperative that we first lay a foundation. And that foundation is found just a couple verses prior in verses 20 through 21. So look there. This is what it says. This is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming, everybody say assuming. Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. So the foundation for biblical change, which is what this morning is about, starts with or assumes that you are in Christ. You see, Grace Bible Church, there are two positions in the world by which we find ourselves. In Christ or not in Christ. That is the reality of which we live. And I know it's tension, right? And I know that puts, that's not inclusive. But Christ is not inclusive. In fact, he's exclusive. He is, as John 14, 6 says, where Jesus says about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. This is it. These are the two positions of which we find ourselves. So that leads us to ask the question, well, then what is the good news? What is the gospel then? And the gospel is that we were created good to be in relationship with God. This is the way mankind was made to flourish in God's presence. Of course, you know, Genesis chapter 3 tells us that even though we find ourselves in goodness, in the presence of God, without sin, in holiness, we've rebelled against him. That we've rejected his authority and committed treason against our king. And with anything, there is consequences, or not? And the wage of our sin, we see in Scripture, is death. 
a, both a physical and a spiritual death. Because of sin, we now die physically, but because of our rebellion, we deserve the full wrath of God for eternity in hell. And that is the bad news, church. And when we ask questions or we think about, well, what is fair? What is fair for each and every one of us, man, woman, child, is an eternity receiving the full wrath of God. We must understand our sin appropriately. We must understand the holiness of God appropriately, by which we just sang like three songs on. That is the bad news. But the good news is, but God, right? That's my favorite two words in the Bible. You see them often. But God, rich in mercy and grace, sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life, to die a substitutionary death in your place, to conquer sin and death in his resurrection for those who place their faith in him. So scripture teaches us, church, that it is through Jesus and Jesus alone that we are saved by the gift of faith, a gift of God's sheer grace, and there is no other way. This is it. There is no other way but by the blood of Christ. And if this is not you, as we begin this sermon, begin looking at this text and you find yourself like, I don't believe those things. Man, I just want to plead with you to wrestle with this reality. But if you are a Christian who believes the gospel by which I've described, we need to clear up some misgivings we have about Scripture. And the, the first thing that we need to understand about the Bible is that it is not a self-help book. It's not some collection of just wise sayings. It contains those things, right? The Bible surely helps us it has wisdom literature included in it, but it is not merely those things. In fact, it is God's direct revelation of himself to you and I. What a gift, a treasure that we don't have to worry or wonder about what God's will is. In fact, he tells us, but we struggle to come to the place where there's answers as we wonder what God's secret will for our lives is. We neglect his revealed will in his word. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it tells us that, man, the Bible, God's word is inspired by him. That it is profitable for some things, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. Amen? Who needs some more training? This guy. Anyone yesterday snap at their kids for some Christmas-related incident? <laughs> Both hands. It is our guide to becoming more like Jesus and less like we used to be. And so we as believers come to this paradox. If we repent, we believe, and surrender our lives to Christ, we are set free from sin's eternal penalty. Church, totally set free by what we deserve. Amen? But we also need a continued freedom from a former way of life. As the Bible describes this former way of life, it calls it your flesh. 
In fact, Jeremiah 17, 9 gives us a real clear picture of this former way when it describes the heart to us. It tells us about our hearts, each and every one of us, that it is deceitful. It's desperately sick. So the world says, follow your heart. And the Bible would say, no, (laughs) don't follow Jesus, not your heart. And so this text really helps us understand our hearts more clearly. That way it would look more, it would be shaped like it would be renewed in the image of Christ. This continued freedom that we have in Jesus comes only through our daily quest for obedience and purity. It is true surrender to Jesus. And so God's word, church, helps us in our quest for that kind of freedom, which we desperately need. And what God's revealed will instructs us to do about this problem is change our clothes. In fact, look back with me at the text. Can you throw up change your clothes on there? Thank you, sir. Look back with me at the text in verses 22 through 24. It says to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, many, many moons ago, I uh, had the pleasure of serving in the United States Marine Corps as an infantry Marine. And we were, my wife and I, we were stationed out in California, and uh, we did this really fun activity often where, where we did these things called field ops. Anyone done some of those? Oh, yeah, man, hands are shooting both hands. I just got off one. Um, and what we would go was often we'd go to 29 Palms. Now, 29 Palms is this resort-style facility in the mi- middle of the Mojave Viper Desert. Um, I'm being facetious. It's awful. If you've been to NTC, you've been to the same desert. It's just the softer side. I'm just kidding. All right. Right. So we'd go to this desert, and if we know this desert, we know in the summertime it is what? Hot. So hot, you cannot escape the heat, y'all. Like, we call our shirts blouses, you know, and we take it off at the end of the day, and it'd be just so soaked from sweat. You have to lay it out to dry it out. You go to sleep, you can go to get your blouse in the morning, and that sucker would be covered in salt stains. So much sweat. In fact, I remember many of us being able to stand our blouse up like it had been starched. I know, that's gross, right? Now, when uh, oftentimes we didn't take a shower because we were only there for a brief time, so we'd go home in our dirty stuff and take care of it at home, right? And I remember being a newlywed at the time, getting those camis back on and going back home and going to our apartment, seeing my wife, being excited to see her. Hey, baby, you know, give me a kiss. And she would say to me, what? You stink. Go take a shower. So I'd run upstairs. I'd take a shower. I'd get clean. But wouldn't it be ridiculous if after I took a shower, looked back at my camis and were like, I got nothing else to wear. I'll just put those back on. And I'll say for 
argument's sake, I put these camis back on, right? And I run back downstairs. I took a shower, baby. Give me a kiss. And what's she going to say to me? Change your clothes. You stink, right? And oftentimes, this is kind of what we do in our Christian lives. We are cleansed by the blood of Christ. 1 John 1, 9 tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I've asked God to forgive me. And then we go back to the former way and put those old clothes on. And what we are called to do, what the Apostle Paul calls us to do, is to take off the old self. So it's imperative we understand what that old self is. Colossians chapter 3, which is a kind of a mirror passage of Ephesians chapter 4, gives us some further insight to what this looks like. In verses 5 through 9, it says this, Therefore put to death, everybody say put to death. Therefore put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which all of that is idolatry, Paul says. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things. I, Neil Grogan, once walked in these things. Idolatry. And you were living in them, Paul says. But now, put away all wrath and anger and malice and slander, filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self and its practices. The old self or your former way of life is sin. The sin tendencies that snare you and you continually fall into. And you know what that is for you, right? Like we're not so ignorant of our behaviors because our behaviors often cause hurt in our relationships. And there's a big telltale sign, right? That's a problem I need to deal with. But in my flesh and the deceptiveness of my own heart, I think I can hide it away or manage it discreetly in my own strength. But Paul very clearly calls us to do something with that sin. And in Colossians 3, 5, he says, put it to death, to kill it, to commit violence against your sin, is what Paul says. If you've ever had those sleepless nights and tried to figure out how to fall asleep, I'm I'm there in the boat with you. I have them often. I usually do one or two things. One, I'll try to read the Bible, or listen to Scripture. That's what I should do every time, but it's not full confession. The other thing I do is I look up really boring, ridiculous documentaries, okay? Amazon Prime's full of them. And I look for, like, the low-budget one, handicam-style ones, you know? Like, for sure going to fall asleep. And one day I was looking for a documentary, and I ran across this one about this guy named Timothy Treadwell. And I was like, it's like mostly shot, handy cam. So I'm like, this is key. I'm going to pass out in three seconds. But it captivated me. And uh, see, Timothy Treadwell is a fascinating person. You see, what's interesting about him is every summer, he would get in a bush plane and fly out to the bush of Alaska and live with grizzly bears. 
And then after the season ended, he would come home, and he would tour these elementary schools. He'd tell them about what it's like living with grizzly bears. <laughs> I know, someone's laughing. What? That guy's not got them all up top. But everybody loved this guy, and he did this for 12 seasons. He'd go to Alaska, he'd live with grizzly bears, come home, talk to kids. So on and so forth, 12 seasons. On the 13th season, on the last day of his trip, though, he got eaten by a grizzly bear. And I'm like, of course, right? It's a matter of time. But the people they're interviewing are like, I don't know what happened. Like, he never had this problem before. And I'm sitting there like, what? You don't know what happened. He's a grizzly bear. That's what he does. Matt Chandler has called our sin uh, an apex predator. That's how he communicates it. And I think that's right. Our sin is a lot like this grizzly bear. It's an apex predator. The reason why Timothy got eaten is because a grizzly bear is an apex predator. It was created to devour. It's got these teeth that crunch through bones, claws that rip through flesh. Of course, it's a matter of time, but we treat our sin like it's a teddy bear and not an apex predator, which it is. And so what happens is 12 seasons, managing, dealing, walking through life, but on the 13th season, it will kill you. Puritan John Owen used to say it this way. He'd say, be killing sin or sin be killing you. When we rightly understand our sin, we will then understand the need, as Paul says, to kill it. And this is what we must endeavor in daily as we change our clothes to take off the old self before it kills my relationships, my faith, or takes my life. But remember... You're not merely taking something off. You're also putting something on. Verse 24 says, To put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and holiness. If you write in your Bibles, or if you don't, I'm going to encourage you to here, circle the word created in your Bible. I think this word is the key for the believer. Here's why. You are a new creation in Christ. You've been created new. And there are vast implications for that. In fact, before Ephesians 4, we get Ephesians 2. My math stands to be correct. And in verses 8 through 10, it says that you have been saved by grace through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works so that anyone can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God had prepared for you, the individual, beforehand to do together. And the implications for this is that you have what you need. Every spiritual resource has been given to the believer to wage this war appropriately, to Grow in likeness of Christ. You have been made new. You have been provided, not with stuff to take off, but with new clothes all the same. 
And these clothes are the righteousness of Christ you have been given. And now you need to change them, is what Paul's saying. You must take off the old and put on the new. A good friend of mine and mentor, John Fulberg, says it this way. He says, the process of change is not complete by simply telling God or others our regret or asking for forgiveness. It is not enough for a habitual thief to tell God he's sorry every time he steals. For true change to take place, the thief must now become a habitual laborer and gift giver. It's not enough to put off the old man. You must also put on the new man for true and lasting change to take place. I'll give you a case study out of Luke. There's a wee little man named Zacchaeus, if you heard of him. If you grew up in the 80s and 90s, you had a felt board and all this stuff. So you know this story intimately. Zacchaeus, the wee little man, was a tax collector who would take advantage of people, his own people. And he heard that this famous guy there's a buzz about was coming into town. So he climbed the sycamore tree and he watched out to see who that guy was, Jesus. And as Jesus approached, he looked up, he saw Zacchaeus in the sycamore tree and said, hey, come down from there, I'm staying at your house. See, Zacchaeus was about to encounter Jesus. And it was going to change his heart. And he went home and, and in fact, Jesus said, salvation has come to this household, this, this man Zacchaeus' life. And Zacchaeus, with a new heart, Understanding the gospel by which he has just received now puts on some new clothes. It says in the text that he goes forward and everyone he took advantage of, he paid back what he, what he owed and doubled. I mean, I don't know how much money, but the man didn't just stop a bad behavior. But out of the outflow of the grace in his heart, begin to be generous and walk in integrity. That's what it looks like to change, to take off and to put on. Ephesians 25 through 32 also gives us some examples of this. And I want you to understand or listen and look for the contrasting statements here. It says, therefore, having put away falsehood, so take off, let each of you speak the truth, put on with his neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, take off, but rather let him labor, put on, doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, put off, but only such as good is good for building up as fits the occasion, they may give grace to those who hear, put on. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by which you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. But be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Take off, put on. But you'll notice I'm, we missed a step. In the, the cream in the middle of the Oreo, verse 23, which says to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. 
So this is where our application is going to focus this morning. We want to understand what it means to have a renewed mind. And how do we attain it? That's the question we have to seek to answer now. So in verse 23, it says, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. What is the text talking about? Well, the text is talking about some, this inner renewal. The spirit of your mind is the inner person, the core of our being, our motives, desires, attitude, thoughts, beliefs. What we need to understand about the heart biblically is that it is dynamic. And what that means is that when you go through the scriptures, the Bible is teaching that the central nervous system, the core aspect of who you are, consists of three parts. Your will and your volition, your desires and affections, and what you believe and think, your cognition. So the Bible is saying, is communicating this aspect of our heart. So when Paul says to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, he's really talking about your heart. To be renewed in the heart. Remember what I told you about Jeremiah 17, 9, that your heart is deceptive. And so here in the text, Paul is saying we must renew this deceptive heart. Because we know from Mark 7, 21, Jesus says, it's not what goes in that defiles a person, but what comes out of us, out of our hearts, that defiles us. So uh, inner renewal must take place. So how does it take place? How do we attain a renewed mind? Well, the primary tool that God uses is his word, which is found in the Bible. My dad, he bought, bought a car about 12 years ago for a dollar. So you can imagine the status of this car, 60s era Mustang, and it was covered in rust and totally trash, all right, if I'm honest, okay? But I've watched my dad over the last decade plus take off broken parts and put in new things. Cut out rusted metal and put in good metal. He's done this over and over again. A couple Christmases ago, you know, If you're in my house, my dad always asks for Mustang parts. That's what he wants for Christmas every year. And a couple years ago, he said, I need a new new wiring harness. And I started thinking about that. I'm like, well, you have one, right? You have all these new parts. Why do you need a new wiring harness? Well, because even, even with the old stuff, this car will never function and flourish as it was designed to without a rewiring without a process of ripping out old wires and putting in new ones. That engine and all the cool things about that car will never function the right way because it will be off. Does that make sense? So here in the text, we see that God is telling us we need this rewiring of the heart. And we need to engage in that. And there's three primary ways using the word of God that we engage in a rewiring of the heart. The first is through Bible intake. Now, the beautiful thing that Luke has told us in the announcements is on the back, in the back, there's a Bible reading plan. You could grab that one maybe. I don't care what you do, but we need the word. Jesus tells us in Matthew 4, 4, that man must not live on bread alone, but every word of God that comes from the mouth of God. It could be as simple as reading one chapter a day or engaging in a plan 
or listening to Scripture audibly. But know this, church, you will have to make a decision every day of your life whether or not you will follow what your heart naturally desires or you will put in truth and engage in this renewal process. Because circumstances of stress, sorrow, depression, frustration, anxiety, hopelessness, loss, prosperity, comfort will arise. And the only manner in which you can untangle your emotions is by truth. So you must fight to have a renewed mind. The second way we engage in this rewiring, renewing process is through biblical meditation. Now, Psalm 119, 9 through 11 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? And the answer is by keeping your word. I've sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I've treasured your word in my heart so that I would not sin against you. The psalmist is talking about this meditating process on the word of God so that I would give God glory by not sinning against him and I would enjoy him forever, which is a purpose statement for who we are as humanity. The world's definition of meditation is to empty your mind, right? But the Bible's definition of meditation is to dwell on something, to fill your mind with truth and steep in it. If I brought to you a hot cup of water and a tea bag in the other hand and dip the tea bag once in this hot cup of water, do I have tea now? No. But the tea bag must steep in the water. And over time, what happens? becomes tea. We become more righteous. We desire new things. We renew in our hearts when we steep in the word of God. There are many ways we can do that. You can pray the text or you can do what I did for this week. I emphasized, what are the three words emphasized in the text? Take off, renew, put on. That's all I've thought about this week despite Christmas. There are other ways to do that. Your pastors would love to fill you in on more. And the third primary way we renew our hearts is through Bible memorization. Now, I'm not talking about Awana flashcards. Those things are not bad or they're good, okay? But what I'm talking about is being able to answer this question. Is the word of God at home in you? Is it at home in you? When the heat comes, when stresses of life you encounter, when PCS, PCS has happened unexpectedly or you get ripped out to go wherever, is the word at home with you? Or do you, you just react any which way? The, someone once asked the great preacher Charles Spurgeon, what's more important, reading the Bible or praying? And with his great wit, he responded, what's more important, breathing in or breathing out? The truth is, they're equally important. As we intake, inhale God's word, we breathe out prayer. And in this, we're having a conversation with our God, our maker. When things happen, and situations arise, and moments of reaction occur, 
if the word of God is at home in you, your response will look different versus if you just move with whatever you desire. To win the fight against our common enemy, Satan, and our own flesh, we need to understand that his strategies against you are lies and deceptiveness. And so you must strategize against your enemies, the flesh and Satan. And our strategies must be truth and righteousness. So if you're a Christian, you need to understand you've been called to be a holy and set-apart people. And becoming holy takes a lifetime. It's the process of sanctification, Bible nerds say, like me. It's, but you must understand it's not something you can neglect. You must engage in your own sanctification, your own pursuit of holiness. You have to engage in it. And true biblical change or Christian transformation begins, though, with church. Taking off the old self, the former way of life, and putting it to death. Being renewed in the spirit of your mind through biblical intake, meditation, memorization, prayer, spiritual disciplines is another way you could say that. And putting on the new self, which is Christ-likeness. That is the process of biblical change. And you don't have enough time on the earth to neglect this. Joy is found in glorifying our king and becoming more like him. So church, run to him with everything you have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just ask that you would give us grace to keep our covenant with you. To reject our former way of life. We ask that you would help us to know continually that the only true happiness and fulfillment of our purpose in life is to live focused on Jesus and becoming more like him. And we ask that, God, you would help us in that for the sake of your name.